Father, open our eyes that we may see, and our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we might be transformed through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever gone into your bedroom and reached over and turned on a lamp and then gotten out a deep, dark, black cloth and put it over the lamp that you just turned on in order to hide the light? You're saying, why would you do that? If you don't want the light to shine, then just turn off the lamp. Why would you turn it on And then try to cover it up. That wouldn't make any sense. Hiding the light is contrary to the very purpose of turning on the light. And you know, most of the time we try to hide light because we want to do something that we shouldn't be doing. Or at least something that we're pretty sure might get us into trouble. Most evil deeds tend to be done in the darkness. You know, listen... Sexual uh, liaisons take place behind closed doors, shut away from prying eyes, hidden. Robbery tends to be done with as little light as possible and at night. Drug deals typically take place in a dark abandoned house or in the, the end of a dark alley. We're always surprised when someone commits a blatant crime right in the middle of the day. Sometimes hiding from the light isn't evil. You know, maybe a little spirited, maybe a little mischievous. You know, we there's times we want some light, but we want it muted. Most of us can can relate to uh, being sent to bed as a child at at your regular bedtime, and your parents telling you good night and turning off the light, and then you getting under the covers with a flashlight to read one more chapter of the book or one more comic. We've done that, or even parents and our children did that. But by and large, you, you light a lamp, you turn on a light in order to bring visibility to darkness. It's so you can see, and so others can see, and so people can see you. And that's exactly Jesus' point in this discussion with his disciples in the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. Now, the meaning of Jesus' words here is, I think, different from where we have similar words in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells them about, talks about not hiding their light under a a bowl, but instead letting it shine so that people can see it. But here, Mark's account isn't really about being a witness to the light. It's about our ability to see and discern the light. Jesus' question is rhetorical. Who goes to all the trouble of lighting a lantern and then hiding it? No one. Who would light a lamp and then deliberately cover it up? Why wouldn't you shine a light if you've lit it? Why would you light a flame and then hide it? You wouldn't. The purpose of the lamp is to bring the light. And this metaphor, I think, is especially poignant to those who are listening to Jesus centuries ago. They are people who don't have electrical lights. 
They, they can't plug in a lamp or flip a switch. And they, it makes a little more, means a little more to them to the process of lighting a lamp. Now, I'm, I've not really done a lot of camping in my life, though when I was a child, we went camping a few times in some summers. And one of the vivid things about camping that I remember is the Coleman Lantern. You can picture that. You know, you, I remember the, the smell of the oil, and I remember uh, the, seeing those, those little white bags of fabric. I looked them up. They're called mantles. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, seeing those lit and watching them burn and giving off light. Well, you know, in preparation for Y2K, we bought one of those Coleman lanterns. It seems kind of silly at this time after knowing nothing really happened. But there was a lot of hype. And so we were concerned about what was going to happen when January 1st, 2000 hit. And people were stocking up on all kinds of things, food and supplies. I, I was going for stocking up on Twix bars and Little Debbie Swiss cake rolls and bags of chips. But I had to get a lantern too. Uh, you know, I don't know. I realized after I bought it, I don't think I've ever lit one of these lanterns in my life. When we went camping, my dad always lit it. So as December was rolling around, I thought I'd probably better see if I can figure out how to do this. That lantern is sitting in, I'm pretty sure, in my in-law's garage, and it's never been lit. I could never figure out how to light it. I tried and tried, and I spent hours, and I read the directions, and I turned it, and, you know, all these things, and it would not light. Finally, I gave up and I prayed that whatever happened with Y2K, that it wouldn't involve the lights and we'd be okay. So, you know, when I hear Jesus say, why would anyone go to all the trouble of lighting a lamp and then hide it? I, I, I kind of get an idea of what he's talking about. If you go to all the trouble of lighting a lamp, don't you want it to shine? If you light a lamp, don't you want it to uncover the darkness? Don't you want it to shine as brightly as possible? Of course. And then it's as if Jesus adds, if you human beings would never act so foolishly as to cover up a lamp when it's lit, how much less would God? Now keep in mind that in the scriptures, light represents the presence of God. In the tabernacle, in the temple, in the Old Testament, the, the lamps are lit 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year because that light represents the presence of God with the people. That's why we light candles when we come to worship. It reminds us that of the presence of God, the light of the world. And the lamp, when we come to the New Testament, represents Jesus who comes. And the present hiddenness of Jesus is not always going to be. A day is coming when all the fullness of the glory of Jesus is going to be revealed. But his full nature is somewhat hidden. The fullness of Christ is not fully revealed. And therefore, we need to be careful hearers of Christ. We need acute spiritual perception. We need eyes to see his light. And what's confusing the disciples is that Jesus has been talking in parables and, and he's been teaching 
through parables, and the disciples aren't getting it. They're confused. And so they come to Jesus, and they ask him to explain. And you get the feeling they're asking, Jesus, why are you teaching this way? Are you trying to confuse everyone? And Jesus says, why would God send the light of the world and then hide that light? If you wouldn't do it, what would make you think God would? And yet we probably ask similar questions of God. Why isn't the Bible clearer about these points? God, why don't you just tell me what to do? Lord, life and church would be a lot better and easier and clearer if everything in Scripture were more black and white. If we didn't have to think so much. Just tell us. That's all we need. And the truth is, Jesus uses parables. And Scripture is not completely black and white. We have to think, and it's not intended to confuse nor to hide the truth, but actually it's intended to uncover the truth. The teaching of Scripture is not intended to conceal truth, but to reveal it. And what the parables and the teaching of Scripture reveal is not just truth about God, but truth about us. What appears confusing and hidden is actually a test. It's a revelation of our openness to God. What we may sense as hiddenness is actually God's call to faith and worship. If God tells us everything completely, then faith becomes unnecessary and reliance upon God becomes obsolete. And because we are sinful and selfish, we need our faith tested. We need our hearts examined. We need to be challenged about who we are and about the condition of our hearts toward Christ. And the ultimate purpose of the hiddenness isn't to make the light more difficult to see. It's to help our eyes adjust to the light. We need eyes adjusted to the light because we are so quickly and readily connected to and comfortable with darkness. Physically, the, the longer you're in the dark, a couple of things tend to happen. One, eventually your eyes begin to adjust to the dark, and you might easily convince yourself that you can see pretty well and you really don't need any more light. Yeah, this is good enough. And second, after being in the dark for a long time, when you are eventually exposed to the light, you close your eyes and you shield your eyes because it's bright. And you're tempted to simply run back to the darkness. The longer you live in darkness, the harder it is to adjust to the light and the less appealing the light seems. And so these religious leaders hear Jesus, they come to Jesus and they walk away angry with Jesus because they come to him with a heart closed to God and with eyes that prefer the comfort of the darkness to the light of Jesus. But the disciples and many other people come to Jesus and they hear Jesus and they crowd around Jesus because they want to hear more. They're attracted to the light. And they want to know more and experience more because they come with a heart open to God 
and with eyes that yearn for the light. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable of the soils. The same seed falls on all the soil, but only the soil that's ready to receive it. Only the soil that's fertile and turned and soft allows that seed to take root and grow and produce an abundant crop. If the soil is prepared and ready and open, the seed will root and grow. If the soil is hard and weedy, unprepared, distracted, the seed comes to nothing. But you know, this isn't just about parables and understanding Scripture. It's about how we worship and the attitude and the focus by which we come to worship. Do we come primarily to give to God or to get from God? Do we come primarily to be served or to serve? Do we come primarily to criticize and to examine and to assess? Or do we come to release our lives and hearts to God? Do we come primarily thinking about what we can contribute or about what others can do for us? When we come to worship, do we come expecting to hear from God or does it just sort of feel like ritual, routine? We may come no matter what, but if we have no real expectation about meeting the Almighty God, about being challenged by the cross of Christ, by being anointed and convicted and transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, then all of this will just sort of feel like a light that's hidden under a bowl. Do we come to worship believing that because God is present, anything can happen? Or do we come trying to control what God can do? But I think this is also a recognition of how we come to the table of our Lord. The Lord's Supper is, is mysterious and it's symbolic. It's, it's revealing and it's hidden. And it's a means of grace to hear and see and touch and taste and smell God. And how we approach the table and how we respond to the table of Christ is a direct reflection of our openness to God. This means of grace leads us to Christ and and of his loving acts for us. But the loving acts of Christ are also convicting of us. Because God's plan is to challenge our sinful decisions and our sinful selves in order to transform us. If you want to be challenged and transformed, then you run to this table and you lay yourself out before it and before the Christ who infuses it with his presence. If you want status quo, you want to go your own way, then the table becomes a place to avoid. You see it as just sort of ritual. It's something else we try to control. And our focus is all on us. And actually this means of grace becomes judgment when we reject it. Not because we come in ignorance, but because we come with closed eyes and a closed heart to God. I think one of our struggles is that many of us tend to see the table as a focus on self rather than on Christ. 
We're concerned with getting ourselves right so that we can properly come to the table. That's our highest priority. And, and preparation and, and meditation and, and getting ourselves ready, that's important. But when that becomes our primary focus, we take center stage at the table. It's about us. When Christ is central, we come to the table, we fall at his feet in worship, and we ask through his grace and mercy to be made whole. It's not either or. It's both and. But the table is primarily about Christ. It is primarily about Christ calling us to come, to see him, to experience his light, and to be transformed by his grace. It's about coming to Christ and understanding and and surrendering ourselves to who he is and what he's done and what he's calling us to be. And the reality of the light is that the more you yearn for God's presence to be measured out in your life, the more you experience of his presence. People who shun the light are people who are, who are giving up more and more of any opportunity to see the light. They come with indifference and, and ignorance. But those who desire the light begin to understand more and more of who Christ is and, and what Christ desires to do. And we begin to to experience him in deeper ways. We begin to see that God can be trusted because God is love. And because God is love, he wants what's best for all of his children. And when you know that the person watching over you wants nothing more than what's best for you, it's transformational. And what looks small and insignificant in openness and faith and trust begins to grow. And the more we expose ourselves to the light of Christ, the more the light penetrates us. And the more we understand, the more we're transformed. And coming to this table seems like a, a small even insignificant act of obedience. But in the grace of God, it becomes a moment of power and revolution. Because what looks insignificant in the hands of God is transformation. Ultimately, Jesus is saying to each of us, either you're in or you're out. Either you're committed to follow me or committed to going your own way. Either you desire to live in openness to me and my ways or you're close to me and my ways. And this is a call to live in full out openness to Jesus. So as you prepare to come to the table today, are your eyes open or shut? Is your focus Christ or self? Are you ready and willing to trust God who invites you to come and receive his wondrous gifts of grace through Jesus Christ? Please pray with me.
creator and sovereign of the universe. You made us in your image. And though we all have sinned and fall short of your glory, you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. He healed the sick, and fed the hungry, and ate with sinners, and won for you a new people by water and the Spirit. He suffered and died for the sin of the world, and you raised him from the dead that we too might have new life. He ascended to be with you in glory, according to his promise, is with us always. Father, in remembrance of all your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us. We come and we offer ourselves as, as a living and holy surrender of all that we are and all that we might ever be. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ, that we may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood, that we may faithfully serve him in the world and look forward to his coming in final victory. Through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.